This is where we're losing our battle. This is where Christians are getting increasingly confused. This is where we're going to all different kinds of places for advice and we're trading ignorance that sounds good, but it's not life-changing. And the reason why we're not growing because we're intentionally, spiritually ignorant. And what are we sometimes ignorant about? Well, quite simply, we fail to understand how to survive the difficulties, the storms that come into our lives. How can we emerge from them and still stand? There are spiritual resources available, but we need to understand how to apply them. Stay with us. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Crawford Loritz. Our speaker has been teaching and sharing the Word of God for over 50 years as a pastor, conference speaker, and seminary professor. His books include Leadership as an Identity, Unshaken, and Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. Crawford now serves as founder and director of Beyond Our Generation, a Christian leadership mentoring ministry. Today we'll hear the second part of Crawford's message, Still Standing, and we're learning that in order to stand or be strong, we must first realize that we can do neither without the power of God. Last week, Crawford offered three ways to stand within the storm. We humble ourselves, we brace ourselves, and we encourage ourselves. Let's pick it up with more about how to brace ourselves. There's a specific reference here to Satan's influence in our lives, and we brace ourselves by using the tools God gives us to defeat Satan. Our primary text is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, but Crawford takes us to the book of Ephesians briefly. Let's join him now, Crawford Loretz, on Living a Legacy. Now, I'm telling you, if you try to fight the devil in your own strength, I mean, it's all over. You're history. But this is how we fight the devil. Listen to me. This is going to help somebody here. This is how we fight him through these two things. Number one, we fight him from our position in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through the end of the text there. We fight the enemy from our position in Christ. Our authority is a delegated authority under the mighty hand of God. Christ is in us. We are in him. We are seated with him, Ephesians 1 tells us, at the, at the right hand of the throne of God. We're, we're seated with him in heaven. We're seated with him in a place of authority. You have authority through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus and his resurrection and ascension. And sometimes you just have to verbalize that to the devil. In the name of Jesus, because of his shed blood, his resurrection, his ascension, and I am in him, I tell you, get out of my house. I'm intense about that because I've had to do that several times. You don't have to take that. There's too many spiritual wusses in our church trying to sound all spiritual. Let the devil knock the heebie-jeebies out of you. And because you're not, you're, not, you're not using what God gave you. And the second way we fight him is by using our weapons. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. You use the shield of faith. The enemy's primary tool is fear. To intimidate us, to mark his territory, to tell you it's all over, to get you scared, to get you immobilized, you've got to hold up the shield of faith so that those darts from the devil just keeps bouncing off. 
Then secondly, the second weapon you have is the sword of the Spirit. You'll never win a battle with the devil unless you know the Word of God. We want to dominate our lives with the truth of God's Word. Listen to me, listen to me. You'll never be able to win the battles of the enemy in your household if all you have is a bunch of nice little innocent Christian motivational giveaways. You're going to have to have something more under your hood when the devil raises hell in your family and in your household. You need to know the book and be able to wield that sword. What did Jesus do when he was tempted? He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And so should we. I'm pushing you. You need to memorize it. Get it in your heart. I challenge you teenagers, the reason why your peer group is beating up on you in school and you're wrestling with all this temptation and caving in is because you don't know the book. And your sense of identity is the group rather than Jesus. That's how you press back against him. That's how you kick him out of your sphere. You stand tall. You declare, I'm in Christ. You hold up the shield. You quote the word. And you tell him to go back from where he came. I started to do the whole message around that because I think this is where we're losing our battle. This is where Christians are getting increasingly confused. This is where we're going to all different kinds of places for advice and all that stuff, and we're trading ignorance that sounds good, but it's not life-changing, and we're stuck in the same old mess, and you keep doing the same old stuff that you did five years ago. You keep getting beat up by the devil by the same stuff you struggled with 15 years ago. And the reason why we're not growing because we're intentionally, spiritually ignorant And if I sound harsh, please forgive me. But there's too much at stake. It's life and death. Brace yourself. Be prepared. Don't be intimidated. Hold your ground. Realize that you're not alone. So I read the text. I thought it was a story. These two dudes had broken into this house. And uh, they were just kind of filling their duffel bags with stuff in the house. All of a sudden, they hear this parakeet saying, Jesus is watching you. <laughs> oh, I say, don't worry about that. Say, Jesus is watching you. Oh, don't worry about that. And all of a sudden, the parakeet says, sick him, Jesus, and there's this big Doberman pincer. <laughs> <laughs> when you're under the mighty hand of God. I don't want to take that too far. I'll get email. Crawford called Jesus a dog. I didn't mean that, but... Uh, He says here, finally, realize that you're not alone. Knowing, the latter part of verse 9, that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. He's saying, look, look, look. Don't don't let the enemy fool with your mind. Don't don't go around thinking that you're all by yourself, okay? I'm, I'm guilty, you know. Enough pressure on all of us, we start feeling sorry for ourselves, right? We start thinking, man, I can't get a break. Everybody else, up oh, there you go. We mean everybody else. You ain't the only one that's ever had financial problems, okay? You ain't the only one that things have not worked out with relationships. You ain't the only one that's got a bad report from the doctor. You're not the only one. 
What Peter's doing is saying, remember the community. Remember that, okay? Remember that. That's where we make it happen. That's where we slip the arms around one another and say, you know, I've been there. I want to walk with you, man. I'm not going to let you fall. I'm not going to let you drown. And I want to encourage you. If you're hurting today, don't let that pride drive you to isolation. You find somebody to talk to, to pray with. You're not by yourself. How do you stand in a storm? How do you stand? Well, ironically, you stand by humbling yourself. How do you stand? Well, you stand by bracing yourself. How do you stand? You stand, number three, by encouraging yourself. Encouraging yourself. I love the way Peter wraps things up here. Listen to what he says. Peter says, look, first of all, you need to encourage yourself concerning your situation. Notice these words. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace. He says, suffering's going to end. It's going to end. It's not going to last for always. Well, I got to tell you with honesty, I got to tell you this. I wish it didn't have to, I, I wish that this wasn't so. It may not end in this life. And I'm going to read something in a few moments from Tony Snow, the former, the former press secretary to President Bush. It may not end in this life. But heaven is real. Heaven is wonderful. Heaven is precious. Heaven is a great place. And forgive me if I sound so irrelevant here, but it's a great place. The older I get, and I was thinking the other day, just driving along, that great song, it's an old song. Sorry, it ain't contemporary, but oh, I want to see him look upon his face there to sing forever of his saving grace on the streets of glory. I will lift my voice there to be with him forever. Forever I will rejoice. It's not going to last forever. Well, Crawford, what do I do? What do I do? Well, here's what you do in your situation. Don't forget the line, the God of all grace. 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 Wonderful grace. You're under the mighty hand of God. And he will give you the grace that you need for your right now. Have, have you ever, Karen and I do this sometimes, have you ever just sat down with your wife or your husband and you go back and you say, wow, how did we get through that one? How did I make it? I, I said I couldn't take another step. How, how could I deal with that? And then you feel something supernatural. Lift up your leg. You take another step. I can't do it. Oh, yeah, you can. You're under my hand, Crawford. I got you, buddy. But I don't know what it is. Yeah, come on. And some of you are there today. Can I, can I encourage you? Stop fighting God's grace. Some of you here today, your pride has gotten out of control. And your pride is the barrier to experiencing God's grace. And so it will destroy you. Oh, you got to encourage yourself concerning your situation. It's not going to last always, and I've got God's grace. Secondly, you need to encourage yourself concerning your outcome. He says here, 
the latter part of verse 10, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Is first of all, heaven ain't bad one more time. You know the rest of the story. You're going to be with him. You're going to see those loved ones who were killed by Nero. You're going to see that brother of yours who was a slave that was beaten to death. You're going to be there. You're going to be reunited. It's like my sister. I said this before, but her last words to me before she died, three hours later, she said, CW, he's a mighty God. He's a mighty God, and I'm going to see him. Ask God to give you a bigger heart for heaven. Then he says, secondly, you, you know what? You need to encourage yourself because you're being matured in all of this. Will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, this is one of these texts where I really believe that Peter is talking about that you're going to get through this in this life. And the end product is going to be your personal spiritual maturity. Where do you get that from? I wouldn't bank everything on it, but he hints at it in verse 6 when he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time... And then he back ends, on the back end he says, he will restore you, he will strengthen, he's going to grow you up. It's almost as if he's saying, some of you, no, you might not experience deliverance in this life, but his grace will take you and usher you into the presence of God. But others of you, you just need to grow up. And the way to grow up is to strap it on and to go through. Now, let me tell you something. We talk about maturity in Christ, and some of you think the way maturity in Christ is going to take place is that we're going to build buildings and bring on more staff, have more exciting programs, and uh, meet your needs. Let me tell you something. You're not going to say amen on this. Biblically, the only way you grow up is by going through difficulty. Because that's part of God's process. I wish I didn't have to, I wish I didn't have to say that. But that's part of God's process. That's part of God's process in growing anybody up. And those of you with teenage kids, you understand that there are those times in which you could write the check, you could give them money, but the better part of wisdom said, no, if I continue to bail them out, write the check, give them the money, they're not going to value it or appreciate it, so you let them squirm. Not because you want to inflict pain, but because you want to produce depth. So Peter's saying, look at the finished product. Then you encourage yourself concerning God's sovereignty. Sometimes we read these little benediction as if it's just a little like, sincerely yours, Peter. Okay? Uh, don't, don't skip over this one. He says, to him be dominion. Don't miss that. Under the mighty hand of God, to him be dominion forever and ever. Peter wants them to appreciate the sovereignty of God. I don't understand the sovereignty of God, and anybody who tells you that they do, you don't listen to them teach, okay? 
I don't understand how sovereignty and human responsibility and free will meet. I do know you get into theological error when you try to coalesce them. God's sovereignty, someone wrote me an email, and I really appreciated it this past week because they were wrestling with uh, the idea of God's sovereignty and evil and bad things. And to my, I said, I wrestle with the same thing. But listen to me, God's sovereignty does not mean that he's the author of evil. Don't conclude that. That is an error. God's sovereignty does not mean that he is the author of evil. God's sovereignty does not mean that he takes pleasure in your suffering. God's sovereignty means that he is in control and that he uses evil, even your suffering, for his greater good. So, was God sovereign on 9-11? Absolutely. Did 9-11 surprise him? No way. Did and will God use 9-11? Absolutely. Did God send 9-11? No way. God is sovereign. You know, I will be forever indebted to Tim Beard. I, Tim, Tim and I were talking through this text, and Tim had, um, he, he said to me, he said, Crawford, there are two questions that you can ask about God's sovereignty. One is right and one is wrong. And he just succinctly phrased this. And I'm going to give them to you. The good question is this. God is sovereign. Why is this happening? It's not unspiritual to ask why. That's a good question. God is sovereign. Why is this happening? The why here is not a question about whether or not God's in control. It's more a question of what does God want me to learn in light of this situation? Now, there's a bad question. The bad question is this. Why is this happening if God is sovereign? Why is this happening if God is sovereign? The inference there is that, you know, I deserve good things. I'm a good person, and I deserve everything in life always to work out for my pleasure. And if God loves me, and if God cares about me, and if God is concerned about my family, he's concerned about my future, you know I go to church, you know I give my money to church, you know I'm in a small group, you know I help out other people, I do all these things. Why is this happening to me if God is sovereign? That's not the question they ask. And the more you ask that kind of question, the more you rub God's face into your predicament and you're really declaring that God is your servant and you are sovereign. Now, I want to wrap this up by reading something. I, am for, I don't know who sent this to me. I got like three or four people sent this to me. So, but whoever it was, you blessed my heart this week. I'm telling you, you blessed me. I don't know if you've seen this piece by Tony Snow on death and dying. Uh, Tony Snow, as I mentioned earlier, was the um, press secretary for George W. Bush, and uh, he wrote this piece that really wraps up what I've been trying to say. And I'll just read two excerpts from it. Tony writes, blessings arrive in unexpected packages, in my case, cancer. Those of us with potentially fatal diseases, and there are millions in America today, find ourselves in the odd position of coping with our mortality while trying to fathom God's will. Although it would be the height of presumption to declare with confidence what it all means, Scripture provides powerful hints 
and consolations. The first is that we shouldn't spend too much time trying to answer the why questions. Why me? Why must people suffer? Why can't someone else get sick? We can't answer such things, and the questions themselves often are designed more to express our anguish than to solicit an answer. I don't know why I have cancer, and I don't much care. It is what it is, a plain and indisputable fact. Yet even while staring into a mirror darkly, great and stunning truths begin to take shape. Our maladies define a central feature of our existence. We're fallen. We are imperfect. Our bodies give out. But despite this, or because of it, God offers the possibility of salvation and grace. We don't know how the narrative of our lives will end, but we get to choose how to use the interval between now and the moment we meet our Creator face to face. Through such trials, God bids us to choose. Do we believe or do, or do we not? Will we be bold enough to love, daring enough to serve, humble enough to submit, and strong enough to acknowledge our limitations? Can we surrender our concern in things that don't matter so that we might devote our remaining days to things that do? When our faith flags, he throws reminders in our way. Think of the prayer warriors in our midst. They change things, and those of us who have been on the receiving end of their petitions and intercessions know it. It is hard to describe, but there are times when suddenly the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, and you feel a surge of the Spirit. Somehow, you just know. Others have chosen, when talking to the author of all creation, to lift us up, to speak of us. This is love of a very special order, but so is the ability to sit back and appreciate the wonder of every created thing. The mere thought of death somehow makes every blessing vivid, every happiness more luminous and intense. We may not know how our contest with, with sickness will end, but we have felt the ineluctable touch of God. What is man that thou art mindful of him? We don't know much, but we do know this. No matter where we are, no matter what we do, no matter how bleak or frightening our prospects, each and every one of us who believe, each and every day, lies in the same safe and impregnable place in the hollow of God's hand. How do we stand when the storm rages? Well, we humble ourselves, we brace ourselves, and we encourage ourselves. Crawford Loretz with his message, Still Standing. And it's our prayer that Crawford's message was particularly meaningful during the difficult time you might be enduring right now. And if that's the case, please email us. It's encouraging to know how God is using these messages each week. Now, we're not asking you to spend a lot of time with your email, just a few short sentences there on your phone, tablet, or computer. Here's the address, legacy at moody.edu. Legacy at moody.edu. Now, if you weren't able to hear both parts of the message still standing, just go to our website where you can listen to the entire message at your convenience. Our website is livingalegacy.org. That's livingalegacy.org. Or you can also hear it on a number of podcast sites. Well, thanks for being with us today. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio. 
a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.